Nation, what up, what up, what up everyone? Welcome to episode 200 of Combo's Court and I am Combo. That's right, episode 200. Thank you to everyone across the globe that tunes into Combo's Court. The continued support has been nothing short of amazing. Appreciate you all more than you know we built this thing up together. And of course, big thanks to all of the amazing guests that have been on the show. More to come, more to come. Today's show, David Thorpe of True Hoop joins in. David is a skill development coach and a former ESPN analyst. A great conversation with David. Can't wait for you all to hear it. You could find David on Twitter at Coach Thorpe. That's C-O-X-E-H-T-H-O-R-P-E. You know you could find me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. David Thorpe, welcome to Combo's Court. How are you feeling today? Oh, I'm fine, thanks. Great game last night. Always helps uh, uh, get us excited about the next day because these, these series are really good. For sure, for sure. We're going to get into a little bit of that. You know, I love, you know, breaking down games, but I also love talking trends and uh, basketball trends and international basketball and draft stuff. So with all that, it's great to have you on. You have such a great background when it comes to player development and media. I think that's an interesting combination. I don't think a lot of people have that on the level that you had. How did that all come together, and where did your basketball journey start? <laughs> well, I'm 55 now, so I've been doing this for uh, 33 years. I'll give you the short version. Okay. Uh, I, was a, I was a high school coach. Uh, we were good as a high school team. We had a lot of good players, and uh, one really fantastic player named Demetri Hill ended up being a starting center for the Gators. They went to the Final Four in 94. And I had some college coaching opportunities that looked like I got married when I was 25 and my young wife was willing to take the trip with me, but I wasn't so sure that was our best move as a couple. Okay. And I probably chose wisely. We celebrated our 30th anniversary in August. Okay. So Congrats. instead of pursuing the college career, I started kind of working with players and nobody was doing that in basketball. They did it in golf and tennis. And I thought maybe I could do a similar model and kind of control my life a little bit better in, instead of having to go recruit 18-year-olds and, and making sure I kept the job that way in college coaching. So I started my training center 93, I think it was, when no one was really doing player development. And uh, did that, ultimately kind of bubbled up into NBA players by, I had pros in 99 and I had my first NBA player in 2003. And, uh, and then ESPN contacted me in 2007. And we're looking for just a grainy kind of analysis. Uh, and, and the guys who were applying for a job were all executives in the NBA or coaches that had lost their jobs in the NBA. And they hired me, shockingly. And I stayed there 10 years and I continue to develop my players. I think I've had over 80 NBA players now and you know, 150 European players. 
uh, players from China, Japan, everywhere. Uh, and, um, and then in 2017, I left ESPN in 2017. And then in 2019, I partnered with Henry Abbott, who was the founder of True Hoop. Okay. And that's where I'm, I'm at now as a partner and, and uh, kind of a lead analyst for them. We uh, publish articles every week and we do our own podcast called Bring It In three days a week. Uh, and then I, I still train players all the time. So it's been the same thing now for quite a while. It's interesting. You train so many international players. And when I first played abroad, the game was so different. Like when I first got there, it changed quickly. It, they had the trapezoid uh, lane. It was a funky three line length. Like it wasn't quite yeah. high school, but it wasn't quite college. Um, has the game blended together more? Like is the international game and the American game more similar now? And what do you think the differences are besides the obvious like 10 minute quarters? You know, uh, what are some of the differences that you see now? So the NBA is trying to do more stuff like Europe now. Uh, right. The NBA is, is just a far more talented league when we talk about our elite players. Especially athletically, uh, more than anything. Well, I was going to get to that. For yeah. sure, you're right. Yeah. Uh, so in terms of the pure one-on-one scoring talent, there's much more of it in the NBA. So Europe is more devoted to tactics, strategy, ball movement, player movement. And the league is beginning to adopt more of that because they have to as our def defense has gotten better. So it's not so easy just to go to, you know, there's no one in the NBA typically saying, we'll just take your man. It's hard to take your man and help is coming because there's not the, the old rules of can't zone or gone. In fact, the Miami Heat are using zone very effectively against the Celtics right now. Right. So, so that is starting to morph back into the NBA look. And then from a, talent standpoint as someone who does watch the euro league and euro cup a lot also the the number the the level of the of the defensive talent at size is not close the the european leagues the acb especially are are huge lots of seven footers but their ability to slide and race is is significantly lesser than what we see in the nba i mean last night's a great example I thought Dwight Howard kind of played out of control, but uh, he is a very active 6'10", 6'11", you know, strong, athletic guy, and he's the backup for the Lakers. In fact, he's probably third string because AD plays a lot of center for the Lakers. He would do much. He would do really well in Europe as a defensive athlete, right? Rebounding athlete. Definitely. They don't have those kind of athletes in the ACB. If they do, they come to the NBA. So, but the league, the league, leagues in Europe are getting better and better. I do think plenty of guys over there could find roles in the NBA. They wouldn't be stars necessarily, but the athletics in the, in the NBA is still elite at size. With those, with those six, seven, and taller guys, there's more of them in the NBA than anywhere else by far. I'm of the belief that every generation gets better. I don't really think those teams in the '80s could compete with the Warriors. And if every generation is not getting better, we're in big trouble. Like I think that's the way basketball should go. Do you believe that? And what do you believe when people say this is a soft NBA? I don't really believe that to be the case either. But what are your thoughts on all of that? I love that question because I talk about this all the time, Andrew. Uh, I've been coaching now, yeah, my first ever year of coaching high school was 1987. And on that team, uh, we had a couple Division I level players. By 88, we had two or three uh, legit high major guys. And uh, those guys would be fantastic now for sure. 
But generationally speaking, there's no question these teams are much better than those teams. So what I always say is if we had a helicopter time machine and we took last year's Warriors, okay, or even the Raptors, they won, and brought them back to the 80s, which was when I grew up. I I was born in the 60s, but uh, the Magic Johnsons, I watched his first ever game as a rookie. It was a Friday night, tape delay game, 1979 against the San Diego Clippers. I watched the game. And uh, Kareem hit a 15-foot skyhook, maybe 17-foot skyhook to win the game. And Magic jumped all over him. And I watched that whole thing. And I lived that entire decade of middle school and high school, whatever, in college. And those teams wouldn't stand a chance because their defense was so different. Now, you take that 80s Lakers team. In 1980, they won the championship when Kareem got hurt and Magic had – 42, 15, and 7 as a rookie in the clinching game against the Sixers in 1980 NBA Finals Game 6. If you took that team and let them play an 82-game schedule in this NBA, they would evolve, and they were fantastic for sure, okay? Uh, James Worthy wasn't there yet. He came, I think, a couple years later and obviously was a Hall of Fame player. But they did not play defense the way these teams play defense for different reasons, rules and everything else. So if you just time machine that those teams – this team back then, they would destroy this team by 40 points. They wouldn't even begin to guard. No one guarded anyone above the three-point line, almost ever. Right. Uh, and, and then, so I do think the talent was there. They just didn't have the skill set. I mean, obviously, fours and fives typically couldn't do what they do now. But on the toughness question, can I cuss on the show? Oh, we could edit if, there's, if it's too crazy. So go ahead, David. <laughs> it, it's, it, well, I'll say it's just freaking ridiculous to think these guys aren't tough. I don't even know where to begin with that. Uh, players are just as tough as they've, as they've always been in my 33 years of coaching. So my 18-year-olds back then were every bit as tough as my 18-year-olds now. My son is 19. He's playing basketball at Florida State. He is a driven, serious athlete, as are all of his teammates, as were all of his teammates when he played his last year of high school basketball with very – Five of, those, five of those guys are playing college right now. They'll wake up at five in the morning if you tell them to. They'll run through brick walls if you tell them to. Nothing's changed. They're every bit as dedicated, maybe more mindful of stretching, drinking water. They're, they're working rest, and, rest are, and recovery. Oh, rest and recovery. Right. Yeah. They're, because they're more aware of it. Yeah. But uh, my guys then were tough as nails. My guys now are too. The, the serious players are tough, and the, the ones that aren't serious, no matter what the generation is, aren't as tough. So what do you think if you, uh, not the helicopter thing, if you just had the Lakers prepare for a year or two and they know about analytics and they know maybe we shouldn't shoot long spot-up twos and everything right. in between, um, what do you think, like, prime Lakers in the 80s versus prime Warriors, uh, Kevin Durant, what would that look like, you think? Well, uh, I, I don't remember the depth being as good as it is now because it's a global game. Yeah. So we were so much more limited then in terms of our talent pool. We only looked at one country, pretty much, America. Right. So, yes, we have more, we have more teams now, but we have so much more international depth. Africa, Asia, to, to a small degree, certainly Europe and Latin America, right? Uh, the, the talent is so much more diverse now. Uh, I think that's a big factor. And I think the coaching is better. I think that because of what you said, analytics and scouting, uh, our training methods are better. Our, our physical and athletic development is better. And so that, those all make an impact. But, yes, if you took those teams 
and developed them for a year, uh, you could develop some of their depth, but the talent pool isn't as good. It, the top level talent is, but the other yeah. ones aren't. Yeah. yeah. Like if you put Magic and Larry now, they would adjust fine and be great. They'd be amazing. I mean, yeah. beyond, they'd be every bit the elite players they were for sure. hundred percent. Um, so looking forward, I mean, we look back and we think some of the things like shooting the long, uh, too. I mean, we, we realized it wasn't as efficient as it should be. You think 10 years from now, there's some things that we'll look back at now, like, why were we doing that? You know? And did you ever think about that? Did you ever put any thought into that? I, I don't know that we'll be thinking, why did we do that? Uh, as much, I think it's a good question, though. I think the bigger thing would be, why do we limit ourselves? So the, the Steph Curry revolution is the recognition that we can take shots well beyond the line and still make them to a high degree, okay? I'll give you a great example. It's a personal story. Okay. When I was in college, uh, there was a, a full-court basketball court in the projects near where I lived in Gainesville. I went to University of Florida. And during the day uh, in Gainesville in the summer, it's super hot. And we would, my, my roommate and I, who I'm still great friends with, Mark Bernstein, we'd go play one-on-one -on -one full court. There was a that's, water fountain that's nearby. So, that's so much fun. One on one full yeah, court is so much fun. But it was 96 degrees outside, 100% humidity <laughs> in the middle of the state of Florida in July, June, July, August. Right, right. And we would put it to 100, first one to 25, and then you switch baskets because one basket was a little small and a little short than the other. And you go get your water. And we did this, and it was boiling hot. It's amazing to have heart attacks. But we were 20, 20, 21, 22 years old. And as the games went on, he was much quicker than me, and I was three inches taller than him. I was also a much better shooter. I was taking 30 footers all the time because I was tired and I made plenty of them. I don't know what my stats were. Obviously it was one-on-one -on -one full court, just the two of us. Right. No one else was dumb enough to be outside in the basketball courts. Right. But I never would have done that when I played in games. Right. It, these were just fooling around things. But now thanks to Curry and Damian Lillard, probably we're seeing much more of those kinds of shots and we're seeing a high degree of accuracy. These are effective shots. So we, when I, I know this, when I'm training my players, we are not just working on shots just behind the line. We, we, yesterday, I, I, I've got pros in my gym right now. And we did, the last thing we did yesterday was first one to make 23s going back and forth full court or seven in a row. So we do a lot of that because we're really working on consecutive made streaks. And one of my players, he's six feet tall. He's, he's got a chance to make the NBA. He made seven he's in a how row. Tall? He's how tall? Maybe six feet tall. Oh, maybe, wow, okay. Maybe okay. six feet tall. Very yeah. athletic point guard, very skilled, very quick. Uh, he made four straight from just in, from just in the circle. Yes, yeah. Now, it's not a full NBA court, so it's a little shorter than that. But these are still 28, 29-foot shots. This is at the end of a rigorous 50-minute workout, and he made, he made seven in a row, but four or five came from that circle. And uh, it wasn't a big deal. Like, it's, he was just trying to win the competition. And I, I thought he was stupid for doing it because he, I wanted to make seven in a row. You don't got to get quite that far away to make seven in a row. But he was testing himself. And I know he'll make so many shots in games now because he does it pretty frequently. So we, we don't limit those guys. I want them training on those shots. Just like I want big men to take those shots. Uh, whereas 10 years ago, we didn't let them do it quite as much. So that, yeah, as the game evolves, more guys will shoot from more distance, right? And there'll be more uh, multi-positional players, not just your ones and twos doing it. 
Do you ever see a scenario where it'll be like all six, eight to seven footers, but everybody could dribble past shoot? I think for sure we'll see that. I also think, and I wrote this a long time ago, oh God, many, many years ago at ESPN when, when people were first talking about going small. Uh, I, I thought then, and I think now, the Houston Rockets version is going to be something we see more frequently. The six five, six six guys being your tallest guys, but are tough as nails and long and powerful and can at least somewhat mitigate your problems inside. But your big guys have trouble guarding those little guys on the perimeter. The Rockets make you think they're looking to shoot threes. They really want layups. If they can get you all guarding, if everyone's guarding their shooters, all right. five shooters, they'll zoom by you and make layups. That's what they want to do. So, uh, whereas the Lakers, who lead the league in points in the paint in the regular season, maybe they were number two in the regular season, number one in the postseason, they really are playing bully ball. They're playing bully ball and they shoot well enough in the perimeter to make you guard it, then they beat you up in the paint. So, both work, and I think we'll continue to see that contrast of, based on your roster, what you're going to try to do in games. Great stuff. Let's shift to the playoffs. Um, whose run are you more surprised by, Denver or Miami? I don't think it's a huge surprise to everybody. I think some analysts or pundits or even fans had them winning it all. Like, it just wasn't as much as, let's say, the Clippers. I think Clippers, most people had. I always had the Lakers. But whose run are you more surprised by? I mean, Denver was a three seed. And um, I would probably say the Clippers are more surprising only because they had to beat the Clippers. But Miami overall has been uh, – although they've been more surprising, but once the seeding game started July 30th, they, were, they looked like the most impressive team. I wrote this actually on Troop. After the seeding games, they were the best, most polished offensive team after the seeding games. Yeah. They're running their stuff the best. Uh, so it's probably a tie between them. Um, but Boston too – I mean, without Hayward now until this last game, they, they, to beat, to beat uh, Toronto is very impressive. I think, I think the only team we're not really surprised by is the Lakers. We thought I, – I had them in the final two, and here they are. Uh, I think Denver, Miami, and, Toronto, and, and Boston all have been surprisingly better than what we expected. Do you see anybody – I mean, I don't really – if the Lakers stay healthy, I don't really see any of these te- teams beating them in a seven-game series. Do you? Yes. I, really? I picked L.A. to win the championship before the – I picked them to win the championship in June. In October, I thought the Clippers would win, and then the pandemic break hit, and then we wrote an article uh, – I wrote an article in June that we published picking the Lakers because of the dynamic duo. I thought that because there's just not enough time to build the way, for example, the Clippers might have been able to build had there not been a pandemic break. They had won 9 of 10, I think – and the Clippers were starting to really kind of come together. And they did not handle the break as well as they needed to, in my opinion. They didn't come together. They, in fact, they were quite disparate in the way they played, and they got beat by Denver. Um, I think Miami and Boston both have handled the break very well. Yeah, I think the finals are up for grabs, though. Are you surprised how much zone we're seeing in these playoffs, and do you think that will continue going forward yeah. even after this yeah. And yeah, no, that's what, when you asked about what we'll see going forward, that we're going to see more teams zone up more often. The idea of defense is to make you do something offensively you haven't practiced a lot. So uh, it, yeah. the, the NBA players have the skills to crush zones. They don't have the reps. It's a different attacking mode. The, the, the catches are different. The movement's different. The and, that's why, and that's why I thought Houston was so dangerous because it was a different look. 
you know? I, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I gave, I gave Houston, I did an odds breakdown that I did not do a great job of because I did not include uh, uh, Boston or Miami in, in those odds. I included Houston. I, I thought no one was going to beat Milwaukee or Toronto. I was wrong. Um, it's hard before the seedings, before the uh, playoffs begin, how teams are going to look when they've been off for four months. And I was wrong because I think uh, Denver, I don't, I don't think Denver's got a great chance to win. But I do think it's possible. Denver's a very, very good team now. Uh, yeah. uh, all three, Denver, Boston, Miami have a chance to win a championship. And um, I think that the, the way these teams can employ zone uh, uh, can bother any team. And L.A. can really be bothered if, if you play a good zone against them, which maybe Denver will try. Yeah. How much of Jamal Murray's leap is just his willingness to shoot more threes? Oh, I think that's a great point. I think it's also just he's just making more shots. Uh, he, 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 and do you think this will continue after the bubble? Like, I, 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 don't, I don't know, but it's certainly possible. He seems to have found a focus level, uh, a calmness about him. I trust his shot like I didn't used to trust it before. And it's not just the, three, it's the threes, it's the mid-range too. He's there, so if you've ever seen the movie The Matrix, I love to quote the line, where Neo is saving Trinity from the helicopter crashing. It's a very famous scene. And, and Lawrence Fishburne's character Morpheus says to Trinity, who does not think that Neo is, quote, unquote, the one, because that's what the Oracle told Neo, Morpheus says there's a difference between knowing the path and walking the path. And at that point, Neo is walking the path. Jamal Murray is walking that path right now, as is Jokic. Very clearly, Jokic is walking that path. But carrying over to next year, Murray and Jokic both feel like, okay, we can be the man or the one in a playoff game, and that might really inform their confidence over the season, and they, t- they continue this, this next level of play that they're at. It's interesting you mentioned uh, AD and Jokic. Um, I think it's fair to say they're not as schemable as um, Giannis, right? Giannis is a lot more schemable. It, does that mean that those two guys are just better? They're more diversified during the, in the regular season when teams aren't really focused on scheme quite as much. Giannis right. is without question the best player. Uh, but and I've been. But how much does that? For, but how much does that mean when we're going forward? You know. Yeah. So it, it depends on what you want to accomplish, right? If if we're only evaluating you based on postseason performance, Giannis scores uh, poorly compared to those guys. I, I I don't see it that way. To me, if you're looking at what we're delivering a fan base. I want to give my fan base in a regular 80s game year with 41 home games. I want to give those fans the comfort that in any 82 game stretch, this team's going to win 55 plus games, which means we're championship contenders because every contender wins 55 of 82 games or more, almost you know going back years and years. And so your fan base knows, okay, there's a good chance we're going to win the game we're playing tonight. Let's watch. No one wants to watch constant losers, right? And Giannis is a big part of that. So you're giving your fan base something great. If you're only looking at, can we win a championship, that's different. I think that's a mistake to look at that. However, Giannis knows, as, a, as I wrote this a, a year ago, I've got, to, I've got to shoot more threes and make more threes and at a mid-range game. He doesn't really have a mid-range game. He needs the floater. He needs the pull-up jumper. Yeah, the, and not the, just I, I, feel, I feel like he's missing the floater, the hooks, the touch shots, too. He's missing, he'll make his life easier. He's missing, I call them second box finishes. The first box is the eight feet around the rim. The second yes. box is, is that part of the, the, the north part of that box to the free throw line. 
I call that second box. I, I, at our training, training program, and I'm about to launch a, a, a training app. If you go to the protrainingcenter.com, you can sign up and get the app pretty soon where we, in fact, I think in next week, we're focusing just on second box finishes. So we do it every single day, second box finishes, floaters, pull-up jumpers. Some guys can make little hook shots. There's a guy for the Utah Jazz named George Niang. He's got a little half hook. He's a great scorer. He yeah. plays for them. He's also a great shooter. Having that option is something Giannis doesn't have and he needs because teams will take away the first box frequently in the postseason. How much better – that's so interesting because I never had a name for it, but I always explained it to people that a lot of yeah. players need this and they don't have it. How much better would Jalen Brown be if he had that? Oh, yeah. I, I've not broken his game down enough to know where he's at with that, but it's, it's what separates him and Tatum to some degree. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's what separates everyone from the KDs and Hardens and all these guys. Uh, they can create shots that aren't in the first box and score at a high level. It's where Anthony Davis is right now. 100%. Davis 100%. is a monster in second box. And Kevin Durant, I broke down Durant the other day for my website for the Pro Training Center. Um, and I just looked at his field goals made. And he is living in that second box, living in the second box because he can get it up over anyone. Not everyone can do that. But it's something all players should add to their game. And it's something that's pretty easily added to somebody's game. It's not something like vision where it's not really yeah. easy to teach yeah. somebody vision. It's something that you could really work on. Like you just got to put, put time in. That's right. That's right. Yeah. David, great stuff. You're always welcome back on the show. But before we get out of here, I wanted to hear a little bit about basketball as jazz and uh, where we could find you on uh, social media. Oh, sure. So I wrote a book a couple of years ago called Basketball is Jazz. Thank you for asking. It's on Amazon.com. Uh, you can watch it. You can get it down digitally or buy the book. And basically, it's, it's a love letter to the game and to my family and my players. It's, um, it's inspired by the greatest golf coach of all time, American-born anyway, named Harvey Pennick, who passed away in the 90s. He wrote many books. The first one was called The Little Red Book. And then he wrote the little, uh, uh, it's a little green book, a little black book, whatever, where um, it's just his stories told between one and three page chapters, typically, of the world's greatest golfers that he coached. And it's also lessons about golf uh, in terms of your grip and your swing and whatever. And it, it taught me how to play golf. And I thought I can do that for basketball. I can share my personal stories of player development with actual lessons on the court as well as just anecdotes about the game and my love affair with the game, my love affair with my players. And while I was writing the book, I was raising my teenage twins who are in college now and celebrating this long marriage that I've had since 1990. I met my wife in 1987. July 6, 87 is when I met her actually. And, um, and so that's what Basketball Jazz is. I'm doing another one, which I'll get to publishing at some point in the next year or so, where uh, I'm just more stories about these great players I've coached. Half the stories are about high school players you never heard of, but they're important to me, and there's lessons we all can learn from it. And then on Facebook, I'm at David B. Thorpe, where I write about stuff not just about basketball, politics and family and friends. And then on Twitter, I'm Coach Thorpe. Instagram, Coach David Thorpe. And then TrueHoop.com is, uh, I think, a really brilliant look at the game on and off the court today. My partner and our founder, Henry Abbott, published a brilliant piece about how NBA owners claim that they're partnering with players to help change the, the country regarding some of the social issues we have. And yet they're funding 
uh, uh, police unions who are brutalizing some of our uh, players as well as our black brothers and sisters, as we know. And that doesn't seem to work. Like, how are you funding that which has created an enemy, in a sense, to, to our brothers and sisters that are uh, of color? And Henry writes it magnificently. So that's Drew.com. I publish at least once a week on court stuff. Henry writes about much smarter, more important issues. And then we do a podcast three times a week called Bring It In. I'd recommend anyone can listen to it. It's a video podcast. It's also an audio pod. And we tape it at 11 o'clock live every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then it's available afterwards via download where we talk about, we interview NBA GMs, coaches, virus scientists. Where could, uh, you, catch that? Where could you catch that live? So you just go to troop.com and sign up for it. And you can watch it for, you can, you can watch it when we're done on YouTube or you can sign up to watch it live. We have lots of people. We have uh, epidemiologists. We have uh, uh, brilliant professors at historically black colleges or Emory University, one of our, one of our frequent listeners. We have a, a virus doctor. He's, a, he's a, a, a family practitioner in London who watches every day at 11 o'clock live. For him, it's, I think, 5 o'clock in the afternoon in London time. And he's treating COVID patients. He just loves the NBA. So he likes that now. We have college coaches who come on or watch. So it's a real eclectic group, and we're talking about really important things. David, great stuff. You're always welcome back on the show. Talk soon. Awesome. Thanks. Be safe. Yes, you too. Thanks, David. Thank you for listening to Combo's Court. And there it is. Episode 200 is in the books. Big thanks to David for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation, punch down on that subscribe button if you haven't already. And also, man, drop a comment. Let me know how you feel about this episode by dropping a comment right on your Apple Podcast at rate and review wherever you listen to Combo's Court. And be on the lookout for episode two. Oh, one combo out.